If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. What's up, man? What up, Not man? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Dr. Strange, boy. Watch out for that new one. I'm ready to yeah. go. No, that's going to be legit. Take that, I'm, I'm take that Doc it. Johnson. Take that, Doc Johnson. That was a good movie. Top five movie. Dr. Strange. And Dr. Strange Multiverse. Dr. Strange 2. That's going to be tight, too. Anyway, what's up, man? Not much. What's happening? Yeah, I'm great. Doing well. So you didn't read my text? I did read your text. I did. Clearly you didn't. Read it again. Read it aloud. I did. Re- no, read no, it aloud. Read, is- read it aloud. No, read it aloud. Read it right now. Yeah, no. Read it aloud. Read it in full. Aloud. Read I it, got it off. I, I got it on the brain. I got it on the brain. Just, Listen, but read it again. You I- read it too fast. Read it again. I said leading, leading with where we left off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking at, I mean, like, I mean, she wins. No, I don't, read it aloud. No, read it aloud. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. So everybody, yeah. Uh, Michael Smith, before we started, hey, you read my text? Yeah, I got it. I'm talking to my kids uh, before the show starts, like five minutes before the show starts. Oh, yeah, I got the text. Leading with where we left off yesterday, good. And with your most recent additions, Brady. Yeah, okay. But then there's this little part, uh, two words that I just kind of glossed over. It said, you start. <laughs> okay. All right, all right, all right, man. All right. So, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Mike, uh, good to see you. <laughs> and so y'all know, and so y'all know, that's the extent of the scripting that we uh, do on this show. Yeah, Gary, that's, that's a great it. idea. Take two. Thank you, Gary. Great idea. Take two. All right, let's start off. Start off. All right, start off. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do everything. Yeah, go ahead. Take two. Start off. My brother, Michael Smith, great shirt. Happy Friday to you. And, uh, you know, I want to ask you a question, man. Uh, Do you remember when we had Rodney Harrison on the show? It must have been Tom Brady's first season in Tampa. 
and it was before obviously it was before the playoffs and we were talking to Rodney about Tom Brady. He said people don't understand Tom Brady is a thug. Do you remember that interview? And we started laughing. I do. I do. And he was I never heard him he was basically saying, yeah, Tom Brady is a thug. So what he was saying was, look, look, you, you don't get to you don't get to be Tom Brady playing at this high level, playing with several teammates, taking all those hits without having some toughness to you. Uh, there's the exterior. Uh, there's the facade. I'll put it that way. And I'm not putting this on Brady. It's no criticism. There's a, there's a facade of Brady, what people think he is. And then there are people who are able to go back into the, to the inner sanctum and in, into the rooms behind the storefront and see what makes Tom Brady tick. And they understand he's extremely competitive. He's extremely intelligent. And at times, as Ben Volan is writing about in the Boston Globe, and I told you, this man is cutthroat. Now, to both things, as Michael Smith, my friend Michael Smith likes to say, both things can be true. So Bruce Arians can be an ally and see an opportunity to set up one of his former players for success. That would be Todd Bowles. Hey, Todd Bowles, I'm going to step down and I'm going to allow you to be the head coach because you deserve to, to coach a real team with good players and a great quarterback like we have right here. That's true. That can be true. And it, al it also can be true that Bruce Arians had no choice but to step down because Tom Brady kind of engineered this thing to get what he wanted. So, so Ben Bolin in the Boston Globe, for those who don't know, Ben Bolin, he outlines it using sources, including Mike Florio, Rich Ornberger. He's got a source close to Brady. The story is in the Globe, and it's really tracing the timeline from when Brady originally announced his retirement, this plan by the Dolphins to bring in Sean Payton as the head coach, Brady uh, as part owner temporarily uh, until they could work, work temporarily until they could work out yeah. a deal to make Brady their quarterback. This was all going in motion until at the same time, Brian Flores drops his lawsuit, his racial discrimination lawsuit against the Dolphins and others. So the Dolphins are looking at it saying, wait a minute, we're going to bring in Tom Brady, uh, a white part owner. We're going to bring in Sean Payton, a white head coach, and Brian Flores, our fired black coach, is going to accuse us of racial discrimination. Mm, may not be a good look. Pause. Put that on pause. Then... That's when Tom Brady had to start thinking, okay, what am I going to do now? Because his plan was to get out of Tampa and go to Miami, Tampa, <laughs> all the things go in motion. And he winds up unretiring Bruce Arians out of a job. There it is. I'm sorry. He's a thug. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it was this uh, John Singleton movie that I like. Rest in peace. Um, I was watching it. it was on Netflix the other day. I've seen it a million times, but you know, I like to rewatch movies over and over. Uh, it's this movie called Four Brothers. You ever seen it? Yeah. Uh, it's with Mark Wahlberg, Andre 3000, yep. Andre Benjamin, Tyrese Gibson. Yeah. Um, yep, 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 yep. There's a line from Mark Wahlberg that says, It's not a good idea if it takes you longer to say it than it does for you to think it. And that's what this story reminds me of. I mean, 
all of it listening to you and it's not you're, you're relaying Ben Volan's reporting. I read his article as well. I read I read him piecing together connecting dots and piecing together other people's reporting to construct a timeline of Tom Brady's 40 days in the wilderness. Okay. Just listening to you say it though. It's so far fetched and I'm not saying that Tom Brady's not a thug. I'm not saying that Tom Brady is not manipulative. I'm not saying that Tom Brady is not a schemer that Tom Brady is not is not capable of being a puppet master, but so many things had to happen and so many things didn't need to happen. Okay. I'll give you another T word. Let's start. Let's go chronological. I'll give you another T word. How about tantrum? How about tantrum? Isn't there a middle ground between announcing a retirement and forcing your coach out if you really don't want to play for Bruce Arians as a condition of you coming back. Isn't there a middle ground there than retiring like okay. You just had a, a sweet beautiful conversation with your kids. Okay. Yeah. You know how it goes where your kids will throw a tantrum when you don't give them what they want. Yeah. And once they finish throwing a tantrum, you're like, okay, now what? What's your next play? What you gonna do now? So Tom Brady Retires, lets you and Ben Volden, another conspiracy theorist, tell it. He retires because he doesn't want to play for Bruce Arians. And when he comes no, back, he, no, he I, I haven't gotten to the Dolphins part yet. I haven't gotten to the Dolphins part. I have, okay, but that's really, why he retired. I'll get to, I'll get to that. I'll get to that that's ridiculousness in a second. I'll get to that why ridiculous that? in. A, I'll get to that okay, in a second. I'm going chronologically. So he retires from the Bucks, but ends up coming back on the condition that Bruce Arians is no longer the coach. Okay, which we've already talked about this. I told you call me naive. I'm not buying into that conspiracy because there's a middle ground between quitting on the Bucks and returning to the Bucks 40 days later. If all you wanted was a different coach and for Bruce Arians to move upstairs. So that's part one. Uh, concurrently is this deal with the Dolphins. The only thing I buy into is that Stephen Ross is always up to no good. That much we know. Okay. Between tank, between okay. tanking, between trying to uh, trying to bribe Brian Flores to tank, between his infatuation with Brady, as we know, and tampering with Brady, or trying to get Brian Flores to tamper with Brady, to now this cockamamie scheme about bringing Sean Payton from the Saints, which would require okay. draft compensation, and bringing Tom Brady first as an a front office executive and owner executive. and then on the wait. Okay, but part owner part right. owner was also mentioned, right? right. Okay, yeah, which I'm glad you said temporarily because I'm pretty freaking sure you can't circumvent the salary cap. I'm pretty sure there's a rule somewhere. I guess I feel like I read that somewhere where a player can't own part of the team. So they would have got him in under the auspices right. of ownership and management only to then negotiate with the Buccaneers to a draft compensation to trade for him. Do you know how ridiculous this all sounds? This sounds so ridiculous. And then my favorite part of the story, and I'll give it back. My favorite part of the story, the lawsuit, the lawsuit messed up everything per the source. The plan to hire a white coach and you referenced this, but I just want to read it. The plan to hire a white coach and a white team president without going through the Rooney rule probably wouldn't fly once the Dolphins were sued for racial discrimination. Oh, it wouldn't fly once they were sued for racial discrimination as before they were sued for racial discrimination as opposed to that. It is it, when you hear it and when you read it, it seems like why couldn't the dude have just change his mind? Why can't it just okay. be that simple? Okay. Why couldn't okay. he have just change no, no, his mind? Okay. Uh, okay. 
Mike. This is so ridiculous. The dog, they would have never pulled this off. Well, Bruce Arians said when he was still the coach, five first round picks is bad for business. We wouldn't trade Tom Brady. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah, yeah. We, I see you in Miami yeah, in 23, TB12. We who? The Bucks. We who? We who? I know, this is listen, so right, right. That's what I'm saying. That's a okay. Look, look. This is such a great. A, yeah, I should have. I got natural, a Doctor Strange shirt. I should have worn a Mister Fantastic T-shirt because y'all, y'all out here like this. Y'all out here like this right now. I guess this is no. Ooh. no. Uh, and listen, it's, it's national the poetry. About it, in the national, international poetry month. International poetry month. I, w- I wouldn't know that. I You're the resident it. poet between the two of us. I wouldn't okay. know that. Okay. Well, that's, let that's, me that's let me uh, let me quote uh, let me quote a poet that we both respect. You don't understand my words, but you must choose. So come, <laughs> choose life or death. Look, the bottom line choose the is, ball. man, choose the ball. Choose the sword. <laughs> yeah, choose the sword. <laughs> All right, uh, look. Um, you said it sounds ridiculous, right? You said it sounds. Oh, it's conspiracy theory. I'll tell you what sounds ridiculous. Can I tell you what sounds ridiculous? Tom Brady. Tom Brady says, one week. One week, he says. You know what? He didn't say retire, as Boland points out. He never used the word retire. I've decided not to do that, do that competitive dance. Okay. He says Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. The next week he says, Well, you never say never, even though, bro, you said never last week. Then he does a dance for the next three weeks. Then he comes back. Oh, 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 but wait, but wait, wait, wait. Oh, we're not done yet. He changed his mind. He just happened to change his mind. Tom Brady retires. Mm -hmm. Within within a month and a half, Tom Brady retires. Tom Brady decides he doesn't want to play. Uh, he, he doesn't want to retire. And then a couple weeks later, Bruce Arians, given the gift of Tom Brady returning, not Blaine mm-hmm. Gabbert, not Kyle Trask, Tom Brady, Bruce Arians says, you know, it's March. And, you know, I was just, I was just sitting here thinking, you know what, man? Um... Yeah, I'm gonna turn the, my Super Bowl winning roster over to Todd Bowles because I'm such an ally. Man, that is some far. Now that's Hollywood. All right. Now that's a Hollywood right. story. Oh, okay, that's I'll go back, I'll go to, back to Hollywood. Sherlock Holmes. A lot of people like to choose facts to suit theories as opposed to theories to suit facts. And because none of y'all know are what capable happened, of action. But, but oh, okay. Oh, we not That's, the, okay, that's come on, the first thing you uh, said that bring I agree the, with. Bring the con- Bring the condescending thing on. Uh, none of us, are, uh, unlike Michael Smith, we're not capable of doing what? We're not capable of doing what? Go ahead. None of y'all well, are capable you know of doing what? Go ahead. How you know it's kind of? How you know it's kind of sending until I said it? Because because of the because of the structure, it can't go anywhere else but uh, to a condescending place. I don't think so go it's ahead, man, I think go it's ahead. a fact. Go ahead. Because none y'all, y'all are capable, capable of, of making sense of what is. What, what otherwise doesn't make sense. Like why would a coach walk away from a Super Bowl winning roster that late? Okay. No, that's not condescending. That's a fact because you're not capable of making sense of it. You have to reach for theories and reach for conspiracy theories because like, well, why would Brady retire for 40 days when we thought he was done? Why would Bruce Arians walk away when why would a coach walk away this late from a Super Bowl winning roster? Michael, I'm saying, okay. Okay, so you're telling me all of it's a conspiracy. All of it is, it is? Michael. Okay, okay. You never bought you never bought that Bruce Arians was being magnanimous by stepping aside for Todd Bowles. So today Not in the Boston yes, Globe, yes, somebody just yes, so I am you 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 never bought yes, that, right? I'm, you never you I'm, never I'm, bought but, that. No, I'm I'm buying that that's part of it. I'm buying that that's well, that, part well, of that, this okay, that that, 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 that makes it easier. I ain't gonna bite it. Yeah, okay. I ain't taking the whole Fine. apple. No, Fine. I can't. Okay. 
And just it just so happens that somebody decides in the Boston Globe today to write something that supports your theory that there's more to the story. So let me just make sure I understand. Let me make sure I'm capable of understanding. Okay. You're telling me that but for Brian Flores's bombshell lawsuit that Tom Brady is if not part owner and a front office executive of the Dolphins as we sit here now, he is now the quarterback by virtue of a trade with the Bucks. Is that what you're telling me? That but for that lawsuit, that's what happens. In the craziest of all seasons, I find it a little hard to believe that this was that simple. Right, okay. And if Brady thought it was going to be that simple, then he's not as smart as I thought he was. Because nowhere does this seem like it would have worked to begin with. Forget about Brian Flores. This is so ridiculous. And I understand the dot connecting. I understand the dot connecting. But this is not like a, a, a picture that I can make out with these dots as being connected. And maybe I'm not capable. Maybe I'm not sophisticated enough. Maybe I can't see the forest for the trees to be able to see, which, to yes. be able to buy what y'all are selling. But yes. tell me where this would have worked. Like it's just, it's, it's just, all of it's just people just trying to fill in gaps. They're trying to fill in gaps. Oh, there's a seven-hour well, gap. Phone records are missing. We got to fill in the gaps yeah. of information. <laughs> it's like there's a 40-day gap here. What must have happened and in that 40 days to make him change his mind? That's what this is. Mike, look, you Such can say reach. it's con- you can say it's reaching. You can say it's connecting the dots. Uh, and and, and I, I know I know Ben Volan. I know his work. I've gone back and forth with Ben Volan on radio and on TV. So uh, I, he doesn't need a hype man, but I think Ben might call it reporting. Well, I don't know. Uh, Ben's editors at the Boston Globe might say our national football guy is just reporting. It's not a conspiracy theory. He's got sources. He's got sources in New England. He's got sources in Miami. He's reporting. You may not buy what he's reporting because look, I don't know what happened. I do know this. It is completely unusual. It is completely yep. unusual for Tom Brady to retire. And then 40 days later, what you trying you know to what be biblical, Tom? You know what else 40 is unusual? Days? You know what else <laughs> what, is unusual? You, hey, the owner the, of the, one the, team. The devil, bring did the devil take you to the top owner, of the temple? Bringing him <laughs> on say, as a part all of this owner as a way. Bringing him on as a part owner as a way of backdooring him into the quarterback position. I mean, there's moving parts and then there's this. Come on, man. Come on. This might have been a, this might have been some harebrained idea on the part of somebody in Miami when they pay for tanking games. Or Brady. But reality? No. Nah. Brady, he's a thug. In the multiverse, this happens. Not in real life. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. Shame on me for saying it's a two-man race and disrespecting Giannis. So then I gave a lot of thought to it today. And I said, you know what? I got it wrong. I got it wrong. Not by saying it was a two-man race instead of a three-man race. Michael, the truth is it's a one-man race. This MVP race is not much of a race when you really, really think about it. I will repeat what I said for those who may have missed it. Or I'll repeat it for the cheap seats. 
you would have to be crazy to look at what Nikola Jokic is doing this season and not easily without hesitation without losing sleep without second guessing yourself put him in as your MVP for the second straight season. It should be one, two, and three on almost every ballot. But if Jokic is not your one, you got to explain to me what I'm missing. Vincent Goodwill, it is so good to see you, my brother. Uh, 35 points, 13 rebounds, six assists, and four steals against Memphis last night from Nikola Jokic uh, for the season. For the season, some of these thresholds are just mind-boggling. Uh, first 2,000-point, 1,000-rebound, 500-assist season ever. We'll touch on that in a second. I know those are somewhat arbitrary thresholds, but just go with it. Uh, first player to average 25, 13, and 6 in a season ever, and he's averaging 27, 14, and 8. He's also the first player in the top 10 in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, and field goal percentage in the last 50 seasons. Wow. In short, Vinny, is it a done deal? And like I said, would it be crazy? Like I said a while back, would it be crazy or even criminal at this point to vote for anybody else? I would say it's likely that Jokic is a back-to-back -back MVP. I wouldn't say it's criminal if you decide that, hey, Giannis might be the best player in the game of basketball and he's playing you know, his best ball on a team that has real championship aspirations. Or you can look at Joel Embiid and say, how do you expect anybody to make chicken soup out of that nonsense that he has over there getting, you know, buying a lemon and James Harden after getting, you know, a car that, that never got a lot and, and Ben Simmons. Yeah, I said it. What's the problem now? So no, nothing what, at what, all. Nothing at all. No, nothing not. at all. I, I would hope not. No, but I, I do. I'm leaning. Like I said, I have not done my deep dive. My ballot mm -hmm. is due at uh, Sunday at 1159. And I think I will be going up to 1158. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, but <laughs> I, I will say this. The only thing that gives me pause, especially when going back-to-back -back MVP and I'm a big proponent of history, I'm a huge proponent of history and what it means. There's not too many back-to-back -back MVPs that were not on championship contending teams. And this Denver team is not a championship contender. Hopefully they don't get knocked down the first round. Hopefully it's not a Dirk situation where you receive, well, I guess you can't because the MVP won't be named until like July. But remember in the old days, if you won MVP, you normally got it in the conference finals because you were still playing, which meant you were a championship contender. And if you're not that, how can you say you've had such a profound effect on winning? I, I always go back to the Carl Malone stuff. You know how I feel about that. Let's not give MVP awards to people who are going to make us look like fools in two months. But I will say that Jokic from the standpoint of performance, from the eye test, from the stats, from the advanced stats, I can't say that I would give it, I would take it away from him if I chose to uh -huh. give it to Giannis or Embiid because he's done nothing wrong. The Nuggets actually have more wins without Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. this season, 48, than they had with them last season. I would argue that the lack of them being a championship contender, the difference between them being a championship contender and a lottery team is him which speaks to his value. Michael, did you have something that you wanted to say on this? Because I was actually going to pivot uh, to a related topic that Vinny just alluded to, but if you have something on MVP, okay, cool. Do yeah, the the only reason I reacted that way... Do the well, 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 you, well, you'll love this, Michael. The only reason I reacted that way when you said uh, about, about James Harden is because that's, that's where I wanted to go next. The least of Joel Embiid's concerns right now 
uh, is probably MVP given that I think I read where James Harden in the month of April is 15 for 45 from the floor. There's those first four games. What I was saying, <laughs> what I was saying, they're the best duo in the league. It feels like a lifetime ago, Michael Holly. Um, yeah. But more than anything, they didn't have Matisse Thybul in Toronto. Right now, that's a four or five matchup that if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm dreading right now. They better pray they move up in the standings these last couple of games because Toronto is for sure that proverbial team in Eastern Conference nobody wants to see, least of all Philadelphia, right, Vinny? I don't know who Philadelphia wants to see in the first round of the playoffs unless <laughs> maybe it's the Bulls, you know, because they beat up on the Bulls. The Bulls have no answer uh, for for Joel Embiid as if anybody else does. But they just look like a team that's teetering right now. And for James Harden to be, in the words of uh, Daryl Morey, the most talented offensive player we've ever seen, he's certainly having a whole lot of problems just two years removed from that label. And they're doing a disservice to a, in a second straight year. It is a disservice to the season that Embiid has had. Embiid had a what I thought was going to be his best career season last year where your production matches up, where you play enough games and your body holds up and everything else. And then he came back and had a better year. So I understand his frustration when he's talking about, man, if y'all don't give me MVP, I don't know what, what else I can do. Maybe get better teammates. Maybe get a few more wins. And the only way you get a few more wins is if James Harden fully commits to being what you need. And I have yet to see James Harden be fully committed. I don't know if he's capable of being fully committed. He lacks a certain How hurt burst. is he? How hurt is he? Is, is he hurt or just old? You know what I mean? Like, he, think about it. Bold. In the load, the, the latter the, usually leads to the former. <laughs> and the, think about it. In the load management era, and this is where I'll give James Harden a lot of credit. In the load management era, yeah, he, he was playing 82 games. He was playing 40 yeah. minutes a night. And he was carrying that load, that usage rate, and everything else. Sooner or later, that bill come due. And it does not yeah. look like he is ready to pay it. Now, maybe he can pay it in ones, but it doesn't look like he's right. actually really, really ready to pay that bill. Or he's not. Or what happens is, to me, when guys have that first hamstring injury, like a Kevin Johnson, a Magic Johnson, it's really, really hard to get that burst back. You kind of have to change your game. And I don't see James Harden changing his game or treating it with the appropriate fear that he should. It's almost like he's not there taking it seriously. Speaking of that go. word of that there word right fear, here. speaking yeah. of that word fear, per perfect transition. Uh, you've been busy, my friend. Uh, Want to play a clip from you and Draymond Green on the Good Word with Goodwill podcast? If you guys are whole and healthy, is there anybody that you fear? Do you have a respectful fear of Memphis? Do you have a respectful fear of Phoenix? Or is this is it just a blissful thing because you guys have won championships and you have the sweat equity? Uh, no, you definitely have to have um, you, re, uh, respectful fear uh, in, in our organization. Steve Kerr, Coach Kerr called it appropriate fear. Um, and I think it's, it's like you have to have appropriate fear. I don't care who you're playing against. Um, if you don't have the appropriate fear, you're going to lose the game. This is the NBA. Everybody has NBA talent. Everyone has NBA coaches. Everyone has NBA schemes and everyone, anyone can be beat. And so I think you have to have the appropriate fear for everyone. Now, in saying that, um, <clears throat> we don't fear anyone, uh, you know, regardless of who we match up with, whether that's Memphis, whether that's uh, somewhere down the line, whether that's Phoenix somewhere down the line, whoever we match up with, we don't fear anyone. But if you don't have the appropriate fear, you can get, you can forget about it. You will get humbled if you don't have the appropriate fear. For years, you guys were the team everybody feared at, at the top. 
where teams would basically be psyched out of playing you before they even stepped on the floor. And you could probably kind of sense that. Do you feel like that fear of Golden State is gone just because you guys haven't had the continuity on the floor? You're a couple years removed from championship. Do you feel do you feel that fear is still there? Or do you feel like you kind of have to reestablish that? No, I don't I don't I definitely don't think it's gone because um I played the first what 33, 34 games of the year. Maybe I missed a couple here and there, but for the most part I played the and I saw that fear. <laughs> uh I saw it come right back when everybody's like, oh. They're good again. Oh, we got to deal with these guys again. I saw that fear. So I ne- I don't necessarily think it's gone. I think teams are able to get by that when you're not healthy. Clay was coming back into the lineup. I left the lineup. I came back into the lineup. Steph left the lineup. And so if you keep running up against a team that don't have all their guys, of course you don't have to fear anything. But when we were rolling at the beginning of the season and on top of Clay coming back, then everyone's terrified. Right. I don't doubt we step on the court hole in the playoffs. Guys are going to be terrified. I don't doubt that one bit. Ooh, he said right, terrified. Uh, Clay Thompson man. had 33 points last night, back-to-back 30-point games. Before I touch past to Michael Holly, Draymond talking about fear. Michael Holly has no respect for anybody else in the NBA playoffs, Vinny, because he is hotter on the Suns than anybody yes. in America right now, Michael. Go yes. ahead, Michael Holly. Take so, the case. I, I, I mean, really, I'm just, I'll, I'll go. So touch pass to me, and then assist that leads to the final assist to Vinny. You tell me fully healthy Phoenix or Golden State. Who you got in that series? Who you got? That's a tough one and fully healthy. We can't say either side being fully healthy because Chris Paul gets hurt, right? Haven't y'all seen his movies? Y'all know that he gets hurt, especially this time of year, right? Hamstring, (laughs) hand. Look, look, lies don't care who tell it, and neither do the truth. What? You want, look, just because you don't want to believe it, don't make it so, all right? I don't have to believe it. it. I've seen it. It just, you ain't got, you ain't got to say everything, Vinny. That little filter mechanism in your head, use it once in a while. (laughs) Man, been hurt. Man, this has some bad luck. But continue. Keep going. Don't let me interrupt. Keep going. You you sound like my mother, my sister, and some (laughs) ex-girlfriend telling me to use some filters. Now, now, if Golden State is healthy, my question is, I don't know if they have the size to deal with Phoenix. Aiton. And JaVale McGee, you can throw those two dudes out there and bludgeon Golden State to death. And I don't know if when Steph comes back, how much rhythm he's going to have playing with Clay and with Draymond. I think they played a total of maybe 18 minutes uh, or 11 minutes so far this season. And you can only depend on so much of that sweat equity when there's other guys on the floor that know how to play with you. And those other guys don't. Andrew Wiggins was an all-star, and it looked like all of a sudden, he went like Space Jam, like somebody stole his powers in the second half of the season. There's way too many questions. I do like Jordan Poole as a wild card, as a guy who can go out there and get his own shot outside the framework of the offense. And if you're asking me who's it coming down to in terms of coaching, I'm probably going to take Monty Williams over Steve Kerr just because he knows how to push the right buttons and he has the younger pieces. And Phoenix might just be that pissed off enough from last year that it don't matter who they come out with in the Western Conference Finals. They might just beat everybody four games to one or four two. Ooh, my- I like it. I like it. I like it. So, uh, so I, the only interesting thing that, that well, not interesting, you said a lot of interesting things. The only thing that is controversial, I would say that you said is that you would give the coaching edge to Monty over Steve Kerr and Kerr's got those championships. I know, you know, Clay and Steph and Draymond and, and Kevin Durant, but 
That's a pretty big statement for a guy who hasn't won a championship. You give the edge, you give him the edge over Steve Kerr. Can you bring those championship rings in the room with you on the floor? Does that give you like some, does that give you like a little extra with the referees? Does that help you know your team more? It doesn't. Monty Williams knows his team. Even when they've struggled and it hasn't been very often this season, he's figured out what buttons to push when Devin Booker was slow, when Chris Paul was out. He's been able to weather that a little bit better. And there's no shade to Steve Kerr. We're talking about a guy who was named one of the 15 best coaches or greatest coaches in NBA history, and he's done a lot of great things there. But if you don't have the horses and you don't have the bigs and you don't have the continuity, I'm not sure what any coach can do outside of Ty Lue or Eric Spoelstra, who I think are the two best in-game adjustment coaches in basketball. That's no shade to anybody else. I'm just not sure what anybody could do in that situation outside of those two guys. Uh, last thing before we let you go for now, because we're going to see more of you later, brother. Um, is Monty hands down your coach of the year? Man, I went on Twitter because I was talking to some coaches this morning, and they were like, yeah, Monty is the guy, hands down. And I was like, man, is it that easy? And it might very well be that easy. But there's like seven or eight guys that I feel like legit have a case. Taylor Jenkins, a guy who we wouldn't know if he popped up with a sign that says Taylor Jenkins because he's that <laughs> nondescript has a very good case in Memphis. Eric Spoelstra has a very good case. J.B. Bickerstaff in Cleveland, a very good case. Ty Lue, have you seen what he's done with duct tape oh and hope with the Clippers? That's a, There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to discuss. Another guy who nobody likes, Jason Kidd, has done a better job with this yep, Dallas team yep. than yep. Rick Carlisle, a guy who we says can really coach. That's he may be Doka and Boston. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of great candidates out there, but it might be Monty's year because they got they robbed him last year. I didn't rob him. I voted for him, but they voted for Tibbs because yeah, yeah. you know, Tibbs. Right. Hey, there's one thing I, I know we're going. I know we're going to break, yeah. and we'll see you later. I was wondering in the in the time uh, between now and when you come back, can you find? I don't know if you've seen Karen anywhere. Karen Phillips. Uh, he's missing. He's missing. He, he you know, he came Isn't on. Now? He came on last week. He had the Duke gear on, and hey, I see y'all next week and Duke over North Carolina, all this stuff. So it, I don't know if you've seen Scooter anywhere, but I thought he was in full Shadow Henderson gear with that sun with those sunglasses, like he was about to get his own band. You know what I mean? And 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 the band wasn't banding over the weekend. I had, did y'all not have a great time watching Duke get their asses kicked this weekend? Yes. Was that just not a warm moment for everybody? Great time. one shining moment right there. No, it was it was a phenomenal oh. weekend in general. Uh, we're not saying goodbye. We're saying see you later in about twenty minutes. So grab grab a drink, uh, go to the bathroom. And we'll see you in a couple minutes. <laughs> see ya. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. I am as sore as I expected to feel. Um, but it's, it was amazing to have, like I was telling the, the, the team, you know, all week, it, come game time, it'll be a different deal. You know, it'll, my adrenaline will kick in. Um, I'll, I'll get into my own, my own little world and I'll, I'll get after it. And uh, it's about the, the training that we've done is uh, to have the stamina to, to go. Um, I'm going to be sore, yes. That's just the way it is. Um, but the, the training cycles that we've had 
to make sure that I have the stamina to, to keep going. Um, and it's only one round. we got three more to go. Um, it's a long way to go and uh, a lot of shots to be played. Love that. Love that mentality. We got three more to go because that's spoken like a man who plans on wearing red and contending on Sunday. But round two, so far, not so good. Uh, through five, uh, Tiger is four over and now three over for the tournament and tied for yeah. 39th. So great yeah, scene man. yesterday when he shot that one under and was in the top 10 heading into today. But uh, so far, not so good. Uh, let's see what's good with our friends from beyond the fairway. Will Lowry and Doug Smith. It is so good to see both of y'all. Um, what's up? What have, uh, let's, let's start with you, Will, because uh, we've been busy running our miles. I'm sure y'all been glued to the TV. What have y'all seen from Tiger today versus yesterday? Start with you, Will. I mean, right now he's struggling, but this is a guy that could possibly turn it all around in the in, in the in the glimpse of a second. You know, you, you got to think, man. This guy hasn't played a round of golf, competitive round of golf, in 508 days, and his, his scoring average around that place is is less than 70. It's just shy of 71. He shot a 71 yesterday, so he absolutely knows his way around the golf, golf course. He knows the rhythm, the ebbs and flows of what the uh, Augusta National brings. So I'm not counting him out just yet because after what he showed me yesterday, I think the guy can yeah. still pull it off. What you think, Will? Well, Will's a little more optimistic than no, I am sorry. a Tiger Woods. Yeah. That's all good. Yeah. But, you know, what he had to go through, you just think about what he's had to go through to get ready for one round of golf there yesterday. And I think people are forgetting and they're discounting what he had to do once he left the golf course to get ready to play in today's round. He spent hours in ice with his physios, with his trainers stretching. He's done more work since he's left the course than any other player in the field just to get ready to go. I thought we saw a tired Tiger Woods. I think we, I saw, I thought we saw a hurt Tiger Woods. Now you look at his scorecard. He, he bogeyed at the first, bogeys at three, four, five, and then he's right of the ship there already on six and seven. But that's the stretch, Mike. That's the stretch you have to kind of get through at Augusta. You got to get through four through seven, and then you get back mm -hmm. to eight, and there's a par five there, and then you can kind of do some things. So uh, we'll see what Tiger does in the latter part of, of the day. And I know Tiger Woods is a story, but I do want to shout out the other melanated brother in the field and Harold Varner, who's at two under par <laughs> after two days of golf. And that's pretty special right there. No, I appreciate that from you, Doug. Um, just want to point out, look, yesterday was a great omen. It was the 11th time that Tiger shot under par in an opening round at the Masters. The last 10 times he did it, nine top 10 finishes, and four of his five wins at Augusta. Of course, he wasn't coming off a catastrophic car accident, but nonetheless, as you mentioned, Will, he knows his way around. But, Doug, I just want to ask, you know, and I, Michael and I talked about this the other day when he first announced that he was going to play. Like, it was a victory, not just for Tiger, but for all of us, for golf, for the sport, for, you know, sports fans everywhere, the moment he teed off yesterday. So even if he were to you know, worst case scenario, missed the cut or were to continue to struggle uh, the rest of the tournament. Just how significant is it for you, Doug? And then you will, of course, to just see Tiger back playing competitive golf. I mean, 13 months ago, the guy couldn't walk. You know, people claimed he was out. He was done again. Will not talk about the kind of the roller coaster ride of being a Tiger Woods fan over the years. But I think you cannot, you know, I tweeted yesterday. It was impressive. It was incredible. The fact not that he played, that he was able to walk. Look, this is one of the most uh, difficult terrains to traverse in golf. And a guy 13 months ago, 500 days out of golf, 
was able to get up and down those hills, hit the shots off the side hill lies, and play go- Look, to play the game. I think we all should be very excited and be very proud uh, of what Tiger's been able to accomplish in just over a year. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, you know, the things that he did yesterday, I mean, he was in some of the categories that, you know, guys have been playing all year. You know, he only had two bogey yesterday, and that was only 8-14. and 14. Stuff like that is is our season – or people in their in their season, they're in their prime right now during the season. And right now, man, it's so impressive because it tells you that he. I mean, I hate to sound so cliche, but he really has the heart of a champion. And I also think he has something else to play for. I mean, you know, he, he, his son Charlie is getting a bit older now, and I think he wants. I think he wants to share some of this, this spotlight, this victory, this 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 uh, round around Augusta with his son. And I think this is uh, something that we all should be uh, taking notice of. Absolutely, well, right, no question. Well, yeah, Will, stay right there. I'll start with you, and then uh, we'll kick it back to Doug. So we're talking about Tiger right now, and he's 46. He'll be 47 later this year. And, yes, it's an accomplishment that he's out there walking and he's playing golf at a competitive level. But as he gets more comfortable, are, are, are we to expect it? Well, is it too much to expect? I'll say it this way. Is it too much to expect Tiger to keep ascending as a golfer? <laughs> I mean – I haven't seen this before. I, you know, I, I've seen it with Tom Brady in football. He's better, theoretically, better in his 40s than he was in his 30s. I can't remember a golfer doing that. Uh, Will, first you, and then Doug. What do you think? I, I think we can accept that. You know, if you remember, uh, just uh, short of 13 months ago, uh, 12 months ago, uh, a guy by the name of Phil Mickelson, at the age of 50, won the uh, the, uh, the player. Excuse me, he won the um, PGA Championship. And Phil Mickelson, who's that? Right now he's the ghost of golf's past, but, <laughs> but as of right now, but you know, you, you see where he ascended and his game is getting better and better. And I, I can't put that past tiger. You know, like I said, this guy is, is probably in the class of his own. He's one of one. And for to say that he has a, a, a few a few years younger than Phil, to think that he possibly can't do or exceed more than what Phil's done at that at that particular age, I wouldn't put it past him. It's 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 a tough one, you know. I think of uh, guys like Kenny Perry, initially, you know, contended for uh, a green jacket there at like 48 years old at the time. You know, I think back to Jack Nichols. He won his final major or final Masters at 46 years old. Tiger's now 46. And Michael, I know as Tiger ages, you know, we like to count out the old guys, but at Augusta National, that one place on that one course on that one property, you only got, you got to understand, you know, all the amateurs aren't going to win. There's probably another half the field that just don't have what it takes to win at Augusta coming in uh, to the week. Okay. So now a 91 person fields only cut down to 40 people. There's then those folks that are going to be around like a couple seasons ago, we saw Francesco Molinari, Jordan speed, Brooks Kepka, Tony fee now all in the hunt. They fell by the wayside there on the back nine on Sunday. So when we're talking about Tiger and how he's going to be and the prowess that he'll contain or continue, um, I think Augusta will always be a place that he can compete. Now, when we talk about other events, the U.S. Opens, Open Championships, different PGA Tour stops week in, week out, I don't know, uh, to your point, Michael, if Tiger will be able to compete. He'll be able to play uh, as he gets better and better, but he's not going to be that 2000, 2001 Tiger and not even the 2019 Tiger ever again. Uh, you already shouted out uh, Harold Varner III, who's at two under. 
Dustin Johnson uh, just went into the clubhouse two, two under as well. Who else do each of you, uh, back to you, Will, and then Doug, who else do each of you have your eye on as we head into the weekend? I'm still excited on Cam Smith. You know, you know, Cam yeah. Smith is two wins this year. Uh, and he has, speaking of Tiger, he has he has a chance to do something that only Tiger has ever done, which is win the Masters as well as the players in the same year. And that hasn't been done since 2001. So Cam Smith, I'm 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 going to ride his way for a while. Uh, you still got Dustin Johnson. We also have you know the guy that nobody real realized that he won in 2016 could possibly have a chance to win again, which is Danny Willett, and he, <laughs> he's pretty as well. So I, I'm excited about these guys. I think it's it's a it's a conglomerate of uh, the the new the new age of golfers as far as first timers versus old timers versus trying to redemption from the COVID uh, uh, space. So I think uh, I'm I'm a fan of Cam Smith. Let me put that out there. Yeah, we've been on the Cam Smith train for like two weeks now. So he I, I, I see you holding strong, Will. You know, Michael. Like I'm looking at the leaderboard. You go the top ten. Let's just talk about it. Danny Willett, Charles Schwarzel, Dustin Johnson. Hideki Matsuyama and Colin Morikawa all have majors under their belts. And the first four that I mentioned have all, uh, they all have a green jacket in their closet. So I, I think this field is, is wide open. You can't discount the world number one in Scotty Scheffler, regardless of how you think he ascended to number one. That's what it is. That's facts. Um, but there's just a lot of, there's a lot of um, tried and true veterans, you know, in this field and right now, you go all the way back to even par. You count guys like Tommy Fleetwood and Webb Simpson there. So, you know, I, I want to make a call. I went with Brooks Kepka pre-week, and, you know, mm -hmm. he's let me down so far. But I think coming into the week, I, I, I like Sung J.M. I'll just be honest with you. He plays every week. Uh, he doesn't miss it. He's always in, in top form, it feels like. He's always near the top of the leaderboard. I think he's going to par the hell out of it and because uh, that's what it's going to take, you know, getting out of here this week. Bunch of pars. Man, I could listen to you two brothers break down golf all day. The podcast is beyond the fairway from the Golf Channel. Will Lowry, Doug Smith, appreciate you guys so much, man. Thank y'all for coming Great. through. It's been too long. Let's catch up soon. Yeah, I know, Michael. We when you coming on? We gotta, we gotta write this wrong, man. We, 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 we gotta That's write right. this wrong. He, he owes you an appearance. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still, a little, I'm still, you know, I'm still a little wounded by the initial uh, look over. But you know, I, you know, I. I think I'm ready now. I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready. Okay. To get hey, back. Are you, guys, are you guys going to Tahoe? Yeah, what a hat this time. This year? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> sunscreen. With, with sunscreen. Yes, for sure. No, hey, hey, you know what? Okay. Mike, I'm bringing you some shoes this time. Because you, your shoe game was trash. My lips are starting to feel normal now. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you talking about my shoe game? Yeah, I'm talking about your shoe game in Tahoe. We're going yeah, to have no, to rectify was, that no, this No, it year. was bad. It was bad. And my dad gave me <laughs> shit for having a glove in my back pocket. He was like, that, oh, yeah. no, I had the glove on. He was like, you got yeah, it on. You, like, I was like, I'm trying to look like I know what I'm doing. He's like, no, you did the opposite. You look like an amateur. <laughs> yeah, you, you look like you had, uh, you like you was watching somebody's kids out there. That's what you look like, somebody's granddad. So we're going to fix that, bro. I was like, is that Michael? Michael, Michael J? Michael Joseph, is that you? Michael Joseph Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, have a good one. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply.
why are we so sure that LeBron James is a better NBA player than, than Magic? I went to the finals nine times in 12 years, Johnson. Or like, Larry Bird. Know. Yeah. But, it, but this is my thing about, because the thing I will say that LeBron has over Bird and Magic. While both of them, I think, were better, Bird and Magic were def- better defensive players than we gave them credit for being. Like, Larry Bird made second team all defense a couple of times. Both of them were good at playing the lanes, like all of that stuff. But we'd agree neither of them were lockdown defenders. Right. In fairness to Magic, it wasn't possible. This dude out here 6'9", trying to run around with whatever guard you decide that Magic is supposed to guard. Okay, like, that's the argument there. There was a point where LeBron James was the best defensive player in the league. Yes. It's there. But this Magic Johnson thing, guys, I don't, I don't think the youngsters, because everything is so Jordan dominant, I don't think you guys understand that this Magic Johnson thing was something bananas, just insane. Because I think somehow people now think that Magic wasn't a great athlete. Mm. Like, like basically, like he was just a 6'9 point guard that was just backing people down. Right. Magic was 6'9 running the break. And if you think that Magic would not yam on you, they're clips. They're clips, guys. What's that? The championship game is 79 where he brought that down on that dude? Yes. No, 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 guys. It's there. That, that dude, whoo-wee. And, and, by the way, had two seasons of approximate triple doubles at like 23 and 24 while being the secondary option. Yes, I think it was like 18, 9, and 9. and But it's 82. like 9 and a half, 9 and a half. Yeah, yeah, like 9. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 9 and a half while not playing point guard. All right, safe to say, first and foremost, safe to say uh, Vincent Goodwill gets around like Tupac in 1993. All right, that's, that's number one. I mean, my man is, 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 is in these podcast streets here. We're glad to have him back. Two, just saw Magic Johnson, who, you know, we were kind of reliving the, the Lakers glory days on winning time right now on HBO Max. But man, y'all sent me the good old basketball reference just to refresh my memory. From 1983-84 to 90-91, Dew never averaged lower than 11 and a half assists a game. It was regularly at 12 and 13 assists a game. And God only knows what he would have done had he not announced and retired with HIV at what 31 32 years old. And so I, I think Vinny, I wonder if Michael knows this. I'm fond of saying that Michael Jordan is underrated because in the LeBron James goat conversation or debate with Jordan. Yeah, the Jordan's all around game gets overlooked in an effort to celebrate LeBron's all around game. Most people acknowledge that that Kareem oftentimes has been left out of the GOAT conversation. So I'll, I'll use that same U word with you. Have we managed to underrate Magic Johnson, the greatest point guard of all time? Is he is he underrated, you think, these days? I, I think we don't talk about him with enough layers. I think we simplify to saying yeah. the greatest point guard of all time and just ending it there. You know what I mean? Like, it's, this ain't like he's just Dr. Dre just making making beats. You know what I mean? He rapping too. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot going on here, and I don't know if we've given him his proper appreciation in large part because of how he retired and the figure that he became. So it becomes much easier to compartmentalize him as, oh yeah, he's the greatest point guard of all time. And then he's the guy that has all these other things 
going on. I mean, he came into a perfect situation when you got Kareem there, you got Norm Nixon there, and you're going to a quote-unquote championship-level team. But make no mistake about it, he was the guy driving that championship team. That three MVPs in four years run, you can stack that up with anybody at any level of any era in NBA history, 87, 89, 90. He won two championships, three MVPs, and literally, and think about it, we're talking about a guy who went from not being able to shoot to being a pretty good three-point shooter, a really, really good free-throw shooter, and then commandeering an entire offense. Basically, when they say, you know what, Kareem, you can't do this anymore. We're going to turn this over to Magic. And Magic said, you know what? That's cool. I'll average 24, 13, and 8 and leave us to 65 wins and a ring over Boston. Like, how many people can honestly say that? Yeah, I think he's slightly underrated, especially here's the other part, y'all. The game back then, similar to Michael, similar to Bird, similar to Isaiah, the game back then was made for the big man. The rules and everything else was tailored towards giving you everything that a seven-footer could give you. And you had all these smaller guys, smaller in stature, you know, by and large, like Magic wasn't, you know, he played center in that one game, but he wasn't a center. Like the game wasn't built for the swingman. The game wasn't built for the point guard. These guys just dominated it in spite of the league not tailoring its rules to benefit them. Okay, y'all. I mean, okay, this is great. This is great. All right. Let's talk about I, the I six feel, ten. I feel like I feel like you about to go somewhere where you don't need to be going. I just yeah, I, I, I hear I it in your voice. There. I need to go there. I hear it in your voice. It does like you're champing at the let, bit. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about the six ten and unders because it's a different conversation. Like you bring in Wilt, you bring in Kareem, they they are worthy and they are in this goat conversation. But we just kind of look at them differently. They really are in a different stratosphere. Just just you know, when you're over six ten, it's just different. Right. Um. So we're talking about Magic and Bird and LeBron and Jordan. I mean, I think that's a fairer framework. Kobe. I would say Magic. Kobe, I'd say Magic was athletic, but he was not an explosive. I don't think LeBron, uh, like Magic was an explosive athlete. He was athletic, but he wasn't explosive. It wasn't like Jordan was explosive. If you go back and watch those, if you watch Jordan versus Magic, I think it was Christmas Day, maybe 88 or something like that. It was a great game. It went back and forth, um, and, and the Bulls won it. Jordan was like a panther out there. He was just unbelievable. And Magic was, Magic was very good, but Jordan was next level. Young LeBron was explosive, powerful, fast. Magic was athletic. LeBron is explosive, powerful, fast. Yeah. I, I, so I don't, I don't really see – I don't see – What's um, your conclusion? Had, let me, let me hear I, your I would, conclusion because I, I feel rank like him, you're going I had on the off-ramp somewhere. Where are you going? I say he's third. I think he's third. Among I think those three, I think, Jordan, I think Jordan is the most explosive athlete. Jordan's the most explosive athlete I've ever seen on a basketball. Okay. Just explosion. Okay. Okay. Jordan's first. Okay. Goat, but we, but we say third, second. you're talking about GOAT. You're talking about GOAT. GOAT uh, under I'm talking about non-center in, term, in, goat. Terms of, in terms of athleticism, I go Jordan, LeBron, and then I go Magic. As far as greatness, I think Jordan and LeBron are here, and I think Magic is there. Not, not that Magic is bad, but I don't think Magic – I think LeBron is a better player than Magic. I'll just come out and say it. LeBron's a better player than Magic Johnson. And and that's not to say magic was bad, but but LeBron doesn't have the passing ability of magic. 
But LeBron did everything, uh, everything as well as Magic, if not better. So and he's not a better shooter. No, he's not a better shooter than Magic Johnson. Yes, Magic routinely. Yes, Magic shot ninety percent from the line. Michael Holly, do not go okay, for okay, the basketball. Throw not a better, Magic's a better free throw, free throw shooter. shooter. Okay, okay, Magic's a better sure. free throw shooter. Okay. Okay. But the okay. game, so, game has evolved. And LeBron is added. But Jordan, but Jordan is a better Jordan is a better free throw shooter than LeBron. But would you say Jordan's a better perimeter yes. shooter than LeBron? Even yes. Because Michael really? Because Michael Jordan was the best mid range shooter of his time during the time where you could hand check guys and push people around. The game wasn't built. The game wasn't the built evolved. for that. And, back and then. LeBron has evolved with it. If you're if you're saying if you're asking me that what if you put Michael Jordan in today's game and say Michael, can you be a forty percent three point shooter? I'd say yes. Like, are you, would you sure. bet against that? A guy who came into the league and really couldn't shoot and turned himself to a passable shooter and turned himself into a really good shooter and then turned himself into a deadly shooter in the triangle. And when you say someone is a better basketball player, I will give you athletically. Absolutely. LeBron is the most gifted athlete, in my opinion, to ever play basketball. But the name of the game is basketball, Maybe. not run and jump, not run and jump. There's a difference and how you and how you I use would. your athleticism. There's a difference in how you use your athleticism because sometimes athleticism is needed. You can I can point to Larry Bird and say that his quick twitches and his eye reflexes are more important than how quick and fast he was off of his feet. As long as you know where you need to get to and how you need to get there, I don't care that you were doing it in a Ferrari or if you're doing it in a van. Yeah. I love well, your that's, question. Well, that's the dude. I, love your... I was just going to say, uh, Mike, just real quick. I love I love Vinny's question about would I bet against Jordan. First of all, that, that phrasing alone, my answer should automatically be no. Would I bet against Jordan? No. But I would bet against Jordan being a 40% three-point three shooter is pretty good. I, but just, just for context, I don't think Trey Young, who is a great shooter, I don't think Trey Young is a 40% three-point shooter for his career. I'll, wait, lot, hold on. Man. Okay, okay. I will give you this. When Michael returned in 96, you can check it, Michael, Michael Smith, on your computer. When Jordan returned in 96, his first full season back, 41%. Why do I feel like 40. that was a, like some nerd shade? Why do I... <laughs> No, no, no. You I can know check you it, Michael Smith, up. on your computer. No, I know you got your laptop up. That's all. All right. And I believe you know, it's all good. 91. It's a little percent from But speaking three. of shooters, though, the dude I wanted to, before, before we move on to contemporary conversations, the okay. dude I did okay. want to bring up, and you shouted him out in the uh, in the podcast with Bo, uh, and I started to listen to the whole thing. Um, it's always good when y'all are together, uh, was Larry Bird. You're talking about baddest man on the planet, three MVPs himself in the 80s. Um, yep. I, it took me a long time. Right. It took me a long time. There was a little Stevie Wonder action there. It took me a long time to seed starting small forward duties to LeBron James on my all-time team. Because I, I had I was one of the last people to give that up to LeBron over Larry Bird. You shouted out Larry Bird in the overall GOAT conversation. Was that to suggest that you still think you still have Bird above LeBron, or you just wanted to mention like, hey, Bird doesn't get the love he deserves, much the same magic, much the same way that Magic doesn't get as much love as he deserves? I think it depends on what we talk about when we talk about greatest. Are we talking about longevity or are we talking about peak? And if we're talking mm -hmm. about peak, Bird's three MVP run 
where he wasn't taking as many threes as he could have taken, even though he was still shooting what he was shooting, his numbers match up to the best of LeBron. Now, LeBron was probably, well, no, probably, LeBron was a better one-on-one defender. Bird was as equal a passer. Bird was a better shooter. And so uh, I think it's a lot more closer than what people think. And then in that fourth year that Bird didn't win MVP, that year was better than the third year that he won MVP. It was just that magic average, 24, 13, and 8. So it's not like – I think sometimes with guys like that that played in that era, they only played 13 years, so the totals get inflated a little bit in this era. And for me, sustained excellence is great. It's wonderful. But how great are you when you are at your best? That's the conversation that I'd much rather have than an accumulation of statistics. Yeah. I know it sounds bad, but I think when you're talking about peaks – we're having a completely different discussion, and Bird is just high, as high up in there yeah. as LeBron James. Yeah, no, that, you're that, right. That's, it's, that's it's, fair. It's, that's it's, a fair place unfair. to leave it. You know what? And I'll leave it. I'll give it back to you, Mike. I'll just say this. That's a good point, Vinny, on Larry. You know, Larry was robbed of like the last few years of his career between the foot injuries, um, you know, heel surgery, injury. between the back injury. It was just tough. Like even Larry, Larry hurt. One of the best games I saw Larry Bird play it was his last season, uh, 1992, 91, 92 season against Portland. And he could well against Cleveland in the playoffs. Uh-huh. That was his last uh-huh. series. They lose to Cleveland in the semi uh, conference semifinals. He could not move. He had to. They really positioned him at the top of the key, and all he did was like point to people and dish dimes. He had like 14 assists. <laughs> I mean, he was just a guy because of his toughness and because of his smarts. He was still able to be affected, even though his body betrayed him. So, yeah, it, it, it would be it'd be better to have this conversation. If he had like three or four more healthy seasons. Now we really we having a nice little barroom brawl over the best player ever. But, but once again, you, you got to consider the time. You got to consider the time and think about it like this. Think about how much we progressed as a nation. Three brothers on here talking about putting Larry Bird on the wall. What would what would Sal be saying right now? Sal and Pino, you know what I mean? What, think what, think what, about what we what doing would, right what now. Would bugging, what, would bugging, what would bugging out be saying? What would bugging out? So listen, out? we need we, yeah. we gotta we, we gotta get to uh, current times real quick before we get you out of here, Vinny. I know you got some somewhere to be. You got places to uh, to see and people to do. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Blaine. So speaking Brown. of longevity, <laughs> yeah. Speaking <laughs> of longevity, most points per game by a player in his 19th season or later. LeBron, 33.3. 3. Kobe 17.6 Kareem 14.6 and that is where LeBron will end the season with the second most points per game ever 30.3 points per game 8.2 rebounds per game 6.2 assists per game 52% field goal at age 37. He is now done for the season. Michael Holly, I guess you've spoken into existence. It happened gradually and game by game, but LeBron has officially shut it down. He is done for the season. In addition to that, Anthony Davis had some thoughts. He had some stuff to say uh, to Dave McMenamin saying he doesn't know what the Lakers are thinking when it comes to trading him and he pushed back on the narrative around him uh, that he is injury prone saying what was I supposed to do about somebody falling into my leg or stepping on somebody's foot and last but not least just trying to do all the Lakers housekeeping here as they uh, as they head for summer vacation last but not least is Russell Westbrook who Mark Stein said the Hornets are a team to watch. I'm like, why would they be a team to watch when they're already a team to watch? Why would they ruin it? Um, Russell Westbrook may be concerned, according to Ramona Shelburne, with the stigma 
of a contract buyout. That his prideful nature could prevent him from accepting a contract buyout from the Lakers. Uh, and that people close to Westbrook expressed pessimism that he would accept a buyout. So having laid all of that out for context, Vincent, uh, we haven't talked to you since the Lakers have been officially eliminated. Take it wherever you want to go. Any of those storylines or anything else you want to add to this flaming pile of crap, this, gums, this dumpster fire known <laughs> as the Los Angeles Lakers? I'll, I'll try to... I'll try to hit and quit it as quickly as possible. But what I will say is with Russell Westbrook, did he not see the way that the, where, where the league was going for the, for the past four to five years, six or seven years? Like, this is not just the culmination of this season playing with Anthony Davis and LeBron and it not the math not mathing. But he refused to adjust and adapt his game to where the league was going. He was always going to be stubborn. So, no, are you surprised that Russell Westbrook is worried about what people are going to think you know, in terms of what his value is, because basically over the past few years, he could only measure his value in terms of triple doubles, because it wasn't in terms of winning basketball. It wasn't in terms of winning plays. And now he does not want to be the scapegoat. Now, just because he's wrong doesn't mean that he's the only person that's wrong there. Yes, Anthony Davis, there has to be some responsibility. Even if there's not fault, there's responsibility in how you take care of your body. If you talk to people around, there will, pe there will be people who say, Anthony Davis is not as serious about this as he should be, as, his, as much as his generational talent dictates that he should be. Just because you have that level of talent, you're gifted and everything else, does not mean that you are satisfied with one championship. So I think he just, might be one of those to guys. To interject, just to interject real quick, I'm sure you read the article and saw the quotes. You're calling BS on everything he said, saying that the injuries could have been worse if not for the work that he put in. He knows how, how committed he is in the offseason. Mm. Sounds like you're saying, uh, not really, dude. You don't even really know. You know, some people think they're working hard, and they're really not. They don't even know what hard work looks like. Are you suggesting that what he's saying and the pushback against the criticism is uh, he didn't have credibility in that area? I, I put it like this. As someone who watched Grant Hill go through injuries and watched Penny Hardaway go through injuries, like there's some things that, you know, your body is just built a certain way. But once you start having these repeated injuries and we see that your best basketball came when you hit a three-month break, that says something to me. That's not to say that, hey, you know what? Just because you grew a foot in a span of a year in high school and I'm sure the bones weren't, you know, adding up correctly and everything else, I'm sure there was some, some blowback from that. But I do think that there has to be some some level of accountability, if not fault. Maybe he feels like if he takes some accountability, it looks like, hey, I'm not taking care of myself. But you always have to look at yourself, especially when you're on the same agency with LeBron James. You're not asking, hey, man, what you doing to keep yourself upright? Or what were you doing to keep yourself upright when you were keeping yourself upright? At this point now, can you count on LeBron James to play more than 60 games in a year? Can you count on Anthony Davis to play more than 50 games in a year? I would take that bet. You know, Vinny, I'm, I'm going to ask you this, uh, and, and I can't believe I'm going to ask you this question. I have been, as Michael knows, I've been a pretty consistent Anthony Davis critic, but it's not even criticism anymore. It's more comedy. I'm just amused uh, by Anthony Davis more than anything now. But I went back and I looked at the terms of the trade. And just, just review that trade they made with New Orleans. So it was, they gave up Lonzo Ball, they gave up Brandon Ingram, they gave up Josh Hart, and they gave up a bunch of draft picks. A bunch of draft picks to New Orleans. And they got Anthony Davis. Do you think they won that trade? 
I mean, I know they won a bubble championship. Do you think you think they won that Anthony the Lakers? Did they win that Anthony Davis trade? Just all things considered, everything it cost them, where they are right now. Yeah, they got a title out of it. Was that the right move to make? Okay, you tell me what other move that they were going to make. You tell me where New Orleans is right now, even though they're in a theoretically a better spot Ahead because of the they're going to play in them. Yeah, but they don't have a championship on the back future. of that. They got they got a better future. Are we sure? Are we sure? Yes. Then are we sure yeah. about that? Are we sure? Because they're look. I like their coach better. I like a couple of their pieces better. But to say they have a better future, as if you're going to bank on them to win a championship before the Los Angeles Lakers. And I'm not even a Laker fan by any stretch. But the Lakers traditionally, guys, found ways to get stuff done. I've never seen it happen with New Orleans. Not to say that it can't happen, but to me. When you make the trade and you get the best player in the trade and you win a championship out of it, regardless of what happens on the back end, you kind of won the trade. Do you think, uh, let, let me ask you this. Do you think Anthony Davis now, and, and, and look, I don't know what to answer. That's why I'm asking you. You know, you talk to uh, folks all the time. Anthony Davis, if the Lakers were to move him, he said, uh, hey, I don't know what they're going to do. As a matter of fact, I love the quote. He goes, F, I don't know. What, 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 I don't know what they're going to do. But, if they were to trade him, would they get the same type of uh, haul that they gave up to get him? Like, could they go to any team right now and say, hey, Anthony Davis is, here, is yours for the taking? What you gonna give me? What kind of goodies uh, are you gonna give me in return? What, what could they reasonably expect? Well, I don't think that you would trade Anthony Davis for spare parts. I think you would probably try to trade him for another star. The problem is he's not 25 years old anymore. He's 29 and he's had injuries all these years that he's been in L.A. Here's the dirty little secret, you guys. We've been talking about the future with Anthony Davis for quite a long time. What if we've seen the best of Anthony Davis? What if he's not going to be, even if he's a healthier player, what if he's not going to be a better player, a more dominant player than the one that we've seen already? When you look at the defensive numbers, when you look at the shooting from the bubble, when you look at the rebounding, he looks like a guy who does not exert his force onto the game as well as he could, even when he was in New Orleans and didn't have the pieces around him. So at 29 going on 30, what can you reasonably expect from someone like this who has this amount of mileage on his body? He already has his ring. He already has his money. He's expressing some morsel of doubt about where his future holds. If you get traded from L.A., you tell me how things go up for you from there because I have yet to see it. Vinny, always a pleasure to see you, brother. Uh, pleasure to listen to you. This is great basketball conversation, man. And uh, we will talk to you uh, next week. Uh, it'll be play, play in time. Next, we see you next week. Play in tournament. Big one tonight. Cavs and Playin'. Nets. Uh, huge, huge, as, as huge game. Still work on that. Uh, work on that Eastern Conference seating. But yeah, it gets real next week, man. So we appreciate you. Thank you. Always, y'all. Pull double All duty right, with us today. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Mike, of course, we spent a lot of time yesterday unpacking the amended lawsuit from Brian Flores in which former Cardinals coach Steve Wilkes, former Titans assistant Ray Horton, uh, joined him uh, as plaintiffs. Yeah. Um, also joining 
as defendants are the Cardinals, the Titans, and the Houston Texans. Uh, more allegations against Stephen Ross as it relates to him withholding severance pay. Uh, the Texans for um, not hiring Brian Flores and instead going with Lovey Smith as retaliation for filing a lawsuit. Of course, the Mike Malarkey side. So we're still processing all of this. And who better to process it with than our good friend Shalise Monza Young from Yahoo Sports, uh, from our New England Patriots days. This is a big old family reunion. <laughs> yeah, I just saw Shalise in New York. Uh, Shalise has obviously been out front and outspoken when it comes to this issue of black coaches. Wondering what your major takeaway was from the amended lawsuit uh, that we learned of yesterday the new plaintiffs. I think first and foremost, I was glad. Um, you know, we knew it was coming. There had been reports for a little while it would be only two men, but there's strength in numbers. Up to this point, it's been easy to paint uh, Brian Flores as just like a bitter black man who was upset that he lost his job. And it's harder to do that when more and more men join the class. So first and foremost, just not relief necessarily, but again, there's strength in numbers. If one person makes an accusation, um, you know, you can work overtime to try to discredit them. But if three people are making similar accusations, um, it, it becomes harder to do that. And the Mike Malarkey thing is amazing. Critical. I was saying yesterday, yeah. it's, uh, it's up there with Bruce Arians. Skepticism aside, Michael Holly, I was saying it's, 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 it's being an intentional and deliberate ally yeah. uh, or accomplice even and really accomplice, yeah. putting put putting putting words to it. And again, the fact that he was not prompted to offer that anecdote which is like, hey, any regrets in your career? And he picked that one. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's critical. Amazing. Go ahead, Michael. I, I, it I really was something. In, no, I was going to say, you know, uh, and, and as you both know, uh, Shalice and Michael, the NFL has a pattern when it comes to controversy. When this controversy, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, black folks and women, the first thing is to say, no, 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 that didn't happen. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. Mm -hmm. It's 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 cover their ears, cover their eyes, cover their mouths. Oh no no no! This is baseless. This is not true. Then there's usually some type of program, some type of band aid that the NFL throws out there. Oh, oh it's, this is just in a vacuum. It's not connected to anything that we've been accused of. We were just thinking about a program for diversity. We were thinking about this, and then the next step is generally some type of settlement quiet settlement that usually is not doesn't match the intensity of the original complaint. So concussion settlement, Colin Kaepernick settlement. So I that's a long way of saying Shalise. Do you think that the NFL because now more people are talking as you said strength in numbers with Brian Flores. Do you think the NFL will attempt to settle something with Brian Flores and now Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton because the more people start talking intentionally or unintentionally, the more uncomfortable this thing is going to get. I think they can attempt to make a settlement with them, but as I started feeling it before and then uh, Mike and I get to talk to Flo in person um, at that summit in, in New York City that we went to a couple of weeks ago and it strengthened my resolve. Flo is not the one. I think he is in this to the end. I don't think that the NFL can put him in a room um, and say, hey, look, here's a blank check. Tell us how many zeros you want on it. I don't think, you know, I, I think he has the spine and he is made for this fight. And I hope that's what it happens. You know, of course, 
everyone has a price. I was talking to a friend the other night and, and he was not wrong when he said that. Everyone does have a price, but I don't think it's going to be so easy as just saying, you know, Brian, what about 60 million? What about 125 million? I don't think it's as simple as that. I really think that he has seen over the years, he's experienced it himself over and over again, that coaches that look like him do not get a fair shake. They are asked to do these interviews that are complete sham interviews, and he doesn't want it to happen anymore. He knows he himself is a very capable coach. He knows Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton and, and numerous other coaches are capable coaches who just happen to be black, and they keep being excluded from the hiring by NFL owners and team presidents and GMs. And that's just one issue uh, that the league is confronted with. Uh, one set of chickens coming home to roost. The other one mm. is, of course, the letter from the six attorneys general uh, led by Letitia James in New York, where, of course, the NFL office is located, uh, taking the league to task and offering to put the full weight of their offices, their collective offices, behind any investigations, if not prosecutions, when it comes to mistreatment and discrimination in accordance with, uh, with any minorities, but specifically along gender lines. What would mm -hmm. you take away from that letter and some of those revelations that, of course, were also reported in the New York Times, I believe, uh, in February. My first thought, and I actually wrote this, um, I guess, on Wednesday, is I wonder if we could ever get Roger Goodell to tell the truth about something. Does he regret not handling the Daniel Snyder situation correctly from the beginning? Because look at all of the things that have happened since, what was it, like July 4th last year, when they just threw out a four-paragraph statement and said, oh, yeah, Daniel Snyder, you know, he's not going to be around the team for a little bit. We're finding the team $10 million. As to what happened, well, we're not going to tell you that. And look at what's happened since. The women who were victims of that culture have been on Capitol Hill and told their stories. People who supported them were on Capitol Hill and told their stories. The, <laughs> the con congressional investigation into the commanders is going far beyond what was happening in terms of sexual harassment of female employees. And now they're looking at the books and the, the New York Times story came out in terms of what was happening in league offices. My first thought was, I wonder if he now is like, damn, like if I had just handled, even if you had given us one-tenth of what you found in those 600,000 emails, in those hours long um, of, of investigation and, and interviews and all those things that they did, I wonder if he's like, okay, I screwed this up. Um, it just... It's so hard to see this happen over and over again to the point where I'm almost tired of writing about it because I feel like I'm writing the same column over and over again. If you're a woman, they do not care what happens to you. They just don't. And if you're a, a black coach, you know, this new low-level offensive coach, it puts me in a weird position because, of course, you know, I, I would love to see more women coaching football, yeah. but it doesn't express the anti-black hiring practices that are systemic in the NFL. They made it a blanket thing where it has to be somebody from any marginalized community or any, you know, minority ethnic community, not specifically to address right. the lack of black coaches, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Right. Uh, we will get to some good news uh, <laughs> for black folks in a moment. But first, and I fear bringing this up because because y'all may gang up on me. <laughs> uh, I mentioned off top our uh, our New England roots. 
Uh, we all go back to covering uh, and writing about the Patriots, of course. Uh, I, I might be naive, Shalise. Uh, Michael, not only does he does he believe that Tom Brady's hands are all over Bruce Arians going upstairs in Tampa, but I'll speak for Michael. He absolutely believes in this Brady to the Dolphins with Sean Payton, but for Brian Flores' lawsuit. I'm like, that's just too many moving parts for me, but maybe I'm slow. Okay. You know, he, he, he didn't get it. He ain't got it. But now he got it. Maybe I'm just so, so <laughs> Shalise. Like, you know, he a little slow, but now he got it. We're going to move forward amicably. So, Shalise, like, what, what say you to the what Brady was reportedly or allegedly trying to do during that 40 day hiatus? So you guys know there's nobody more plugged in that I know of than Charles Robinson, our boy C. And C said on the Yahoo podcast yesterday, he thinks in an educated way that there is something to that report, that that Brady's trying to manufacture, you know, this Miami thing. It seems crazy. Um, but, you know, Stephen Ross, they share that Michigan tie. Um, and if you're going to own something you may as well own part of an NFL team because at least for now they print money but the thing was with Arians it's just so like without him actually coming out and giving a definitive thing because I don't think he's done a real interview until him coming out and saying you know what I sat at home and after talking to Giselle and after talking to my kids and I mm -hmm. really just had that ache and he hasn't said that yet. So you're just leaving the door the open. Yeah. You're yeah. leaving the door open for us to be conspiracy theorists and to say, to if you look at the timeline, he retired, then all of a sudden he unretires. And then a week or two yeah. later, Bruce Arians is like, Hey, I'm leaving. I'm retiring too. It's there's a little smoke there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of real smoke. quick, it's a lot real, of real smoke quick, it, it also circles back to the Brian Flores question because, like, if this is what Stephen Ross had up his sleeve and would have done this, but for Brian Flores' lawsuit, circumvented the Rooney Rule again, then add this to the pile of of evidence uh, to to hey, not hey, need any more, but to support the lawsuit. Go ahead, Mike. Mike, Mike, I was just going to say this. Uh, remember, you mentioned uh, uh, a John Singleton movie earlier. Let's go to another brothers, John yeah. Singleton movie. Let's go to higher learning. Remember, they're walking on campus. Cops say, "Show hey, me your ID. Let me see your. Let me Let me yeah. see your ID. Okay. Let me <laughs> yeah. see yeah. your phone, Stephen Ross. I want to see your communication because oh, yeah. the story oh, is yeah. right there. Stephen Ross has been sloppy. Like Brian Flores got it. That's one of his great receipts, where he's emailing in December of 2019, saying, "Yo, yeah. the yeah. owner is putting me in a really difficult position here." where yeah. it's toxic. He called it toxic. And then yeah. the Dolphins tried to turn it around when they fired him saying the workplace is toxic. Yo, don't be taking my words. Yeah, I said right. that about y'all. I said right. it about y'all. So I, I, I feel like there's something there. Get Ted Wells on Stephen oh, no. Ross and the Miami wait, I, Dolphins. Wait, yeah, and there's, be there's more from as Shalise knows. There's more from uh, Brian Flores' uh, counsel. Um, but listen, let's move on to some some good news because like I said to yes, Michael yes. yesterday, we are taking a page from Senator Cory Booker's book and we ain't letting nothing steal our joy and nothing distract us from this moment that we're in. I'll put it to you like this or ask it to you like this, Shalise. How full 
has your heart been uh, since yesterday and how celebratory has your household been since Judge Katanji Brown Jackson was confirmed 5347 as the first black woman justice in the 232 year history of the United States Supreme Court. Before you answer that question, here's a snippet of uh, Justice Brown at the White House with President Biden and Vice President Harris earlier today. It has taken 232 years and 115 prior appointments for a black woman to be selected to serve on the Supreme Court of the United States. But we've made it. Shalise? It's just, I saw the, the tweets, um, and I just got tears in my eyes yesterday when I saw, you know, I, I was on Twitter, and I clicked over to C-SPAN, and I saw it was 5346, and they were waiting for that bum, Rand Paul. Um, <laughs> but, you know, once it got to that 53, it was done, and I just, I, I cried. You know, I cried because you think about... <sighs> You know, what, what did Malcolm X say? The most neglected person in America is the black woman. Unprotected, and yes. Unprotected, neglected, all of those things. And here is this black woman. And the other thing for me is, you know, I have my little frohawk here. She wears her hair proudly. She is rocking her crown proudly. And it's a smaller thing in the bigger picture of her really achievement. Matters. But for us black women... You know, we just last week saw the, the Crown Act passed in Congress. It just happened again here in Massachusetts. And I think of those twin girls um, in Malden, Massachusetts, who, who fought to have the Crown Act passed here in Massachusetts. But look at her hair and look at that we can go. I have three daughters. You all have daughters that we can go to our daughters and say, not only can you achieve whatever you want to achieve, but you can achieve it with your hair. It's not unprofessional. You do not have to chemically treat it. It, it is beautiful as it is. You are beautiful as you are. And we, look at the things that we can do. And it was, you know, my mother is 72 and I texted her and, you know, she said, I, I can't believe it. I never thought I'd see the day. And, and I'm sure you all had similar and just, you know, it's, it's, it really is. It's amazing that we can look at our daughters now and, and it's just one more thing. You know, my daughters, we have, a couple of books about Mae Jemison, who was an astronaut, and we have, you know, Bessie Coleman, another joyous black new black woman news this week. Bessie Coleman's getting a commemorative quarter. So, you know, to be able to look at our daughters and say, it doesn't make the road necessarily easier, but it does mean that you can get to that destination. Amen. Amen. That that absolutely right. And you know, I, that's beautifully, that's well said. Uh, Shalice and, and Michael, uh, I'll just say this to you guys just thinking about this, you know today uh, You know April 8th is my grandfather's birthday now. Now he passed many years ago. He passed in 1987 But you think about he was born in the early 1900s outside of Selma, Alabama mm -hmm. He was a sharecropper He escaped the sharecropping system there and I say that word intentionally escaped because a lot of people had that was a great migration. He was part of that generation. Got to get out of here because this is such an oppressive system. It is a soul killing uh, physically body killing 
uh, system in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, lynching was the order of the day. He was able to escape Selma, Alabama and go to Ohio. And to see this day, to see this day, I mean, I really, I, I really believe when, when uh, a lot of old preachers say that, that we are the answered prayer uh, mm-hmm. of a slave, a, a slave's answered prayer, a sharecropper's answered prayer. And Katanji Brown Jackson is that. It's an answered prayer from some of our ancestors. So it's just really beautiful to see. It was, it was just, it's amazing. And, that, and I always think of that picture. Um, I believe it was a, a young black female photographer who took that now iconic picture of one of Katanji's justice uh, Jackson's daughters looking at her during the confirmation mm-hmm. hearings and just the, mm-hmm. the love and the pride that she had. And as a, as a parent, you dream of, of seeing a picture of your own child looking at you like that. But, you know, yeah. it's, it's just all, it's just beautiful. And yes, you know, I, I, I gotta say, <laughs> I think Cory Booker is a little bit corny sometimes. Uh, that's part <laughs> of his, that's part of his thing. But yeah, I was, I was actually on the train ride home from New York city when we saw each other, Michael, in that symposium. And I yeah. was watching the video of, of what Senator Booker said to, to, um, you know, to justice Jackson that day. And, and I got tears in my eyes because it's so infrequent, you know, that we see, especially when you contrast it to the BS that she had to deal with from the other side, mm-hmm. but for him to, mm-hmm. to be so proud and defending her and, you know, Ooh. just, you know, you deserve to be here. You belong to be here. And it was affirming for all of us in a way, you know, he was speaking to her, but he was also speaking to me, you know, the emails that I've gotten over the years about, oh, you're nothing but an affirmative action hire as if a legacy sports section like the Boston Globe would hire a black woman to cover the New England Patriots just to fill a quota and that I hadn't earned it. You know, those, it was, it was affirming for me in, in that way that, you know, he sees, he knows the struggle and, you know, she obviously has reached far greater heights um, and will be far more influential than I am. But, you know, it's still with so many black women who have reached a certain level, there's always people who are questioning, why are you there? And you're only there because you're, you know, somebody felt like they had to hire, um, you know, a black or brown face. Not that, not ever that you could have could have earned it, you know, to bring it all full circle yeah. with Brian Flores and, yeah. and that loss. Exactly. Um, speaking of ancestors celebrating from the beyond. Yeah, amen is right. Uh, you know, my grandfather, my pastor grandfather, he, he taught me and I know better than to preach when somebody's off of the word. We're done. <laughs> Thank you, Shirley. So I, I'm not following. I'm not following that. There's, there's, no, there's nothing for me to say between you and Michael. Y'all have covered it. There's no reason for me to speak after what you just gave us. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Good to see you. Keep shining. See y'all soon. You too. All right. Now we'll have a selection from the choir. (laughs) Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. All right, so Will Smith has been banned from the Oscars for 10 years. Uh, He succinctly stated, I accept and respect the Academy's decision. Um, This is from Deadline, I'm reading. With their options rather limited, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Board of Governors decided that Will Smith would not be able to attend the Oscars for 10 years. 
quote, the board has decided for a period of 10 years from April 8th, 2022, Mr. Smith should not be permitted to attend any academy events or programs in person or virtually, including but not limited to the academy awards. Um, we also hope this can begin a time of healing and restoration for all involved and impacted. Um, he obviously had already resigned from the academy um, right, right, right. after slapping Chris Rock. So um, does this feel sufficient to you or is it pun intended, pun very much intended, a slap on the wrist as some seem to believe? Well, I mean, it's it's neither of those. <laughs> it's neither. It, it feels it feels like we're still kind of in the we're still in the workshop that, that nothing is complete. Nothing feels uh, resolved. Nothing feels final. And, and that I, I understand that, Mike, because there's really nothing sufficient that could have been done. Uh, an apology to Chris Rock already happened. That didn't feel sufficient. Um, Will Smith resigned from the Academy already. That didn't really make you feel better. It didn't really uh, take away any uh, discomfort that anybody had. If you take away his Oscar, Can't okay, what is that? We are, he already That's won a Pandora's it. box. Is, it's a Pandora's so, box, and his right. performance had you nothing to do, do that. with his performance. You know what? You know what I'm saying? His right. performance had nothing to do with his performance. Yeah, so you can't, right. you can't, take, now, you can't do that. If, you, if if it's a suspension, well, you can't suspend the guy who's no longer in the academy because he resigned. So you ban him from attending the Oscars. Now, for us, we say, oh, no big deal. But for somebody who is used to that, I think it might be, it might feel strange to him, especially when he won't, he'll, he'll no longer be able to continue that tradition where he can present the best Oscar, uh, the, the Oscar to the next person who wins yeah. it. Or correct me, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, he's also not up for any, now that he's not in the, in the academy, right? And, and now that he's resigned from the academy, can he can he still well, receive Oscar nominations? Yeah. Yes, he can. He okay. can. But but here's the he but here's the okay. thing, and this is where this is where the academy. I wasn't clear on that. It's kind of so thank you. It's kind of like Major League Baseball, and the and, and the Hall of Fame. Okay, <laughs> could Roger Clemens be in the Hall of Fame? Sure, he's eligible. Mm-hmm. Sure. Barry Bonds, sure, eligible. Yeah. Okay, but <laughs> you know, when, when, it's when, almost when, like, not, yeah, you're eligible. You're when, on the ballot, but you're eligible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're on the ballot. Yeah. We'll get you. Yeah. You'll get some votes. You haven't been banned. But you won't get it. We enough. haven't Pete. We haven't yeah, Pete yeah. Rose you, but you, but, right. but you're not going to you, effectively. You have been. Yeah, I got you. I got but you. I don't think there's um, any. So I don't think there's any solution to this. I don't think there's anything that can happen. Well, there was one that will make. What is that? There was one. There was one. It was one, and it's been far enough for me to say something that's at least tongue-in-cheek. The only thing that would have been sufficient is if Chris Rock had gave him a two-piece. If Chris Rock had given them hands, then maybe we could have called it even. Then we'd be about square, okay? So other than that, nothing, again, that's why I think Deadline led the way that they did with their options limited. There wasn't something within reason that they could have done, especially since he had already preemptively uh, resigned uh, from the academy, but honestly, I don't even think anything else needs to be done. I'll answer my own question about it being a slap on the wrist, and I'll go back to what I said 
when it first happened, the day after, because I'm, and I said it, I've said it since then, and I'll repeat it. It's like, not just for every action is there a reaction, or equal and opposite reaction, but for every choice, there's consequences. And I said it at the beginning. I know you. I know it kind of rubbed you the wrong way. I know some other people it wasn't does. feeling it, but it still does. It's, it's, it still does. It's how I was raised. Don't start nothing on be yeah. none. So when Chris Rock decided to say something about Will Smith's wife, I get the setting. I get the occupation. I get the attire and the vibe and, and, and the environment where they were, but that typically can result that oftentimes can result in somebody getting angry or, or physically aggressive, if not violent. I also said that when Chris Rock made the choice to stroll up, excuse me, when Will Smith made the choice to stroll up on that stage and assault and batter Chris Rock, then the consequences that that ensued, he had to live with. And the consequences that he's dealing with are far greater than not being able to sit at the Oscars. Like, yesterday, I don't know if it's just coincidence, but the people at AMC, doubtful it was coincidence, people at AMC decided to put on Enemy of the State. How appropriate. Because that's kind of what Will Smith is right about now, is an Enemy of the State. Um, And in some people's eyes, that is. And the reputational damage, the damage to his image that he now has to deal with, perhaps indefinitely, and I'm not going, I would never say it's going to ruin his career. He's done too much um, for popular culture and for the culture to be defined by his worst moment. Um, But this is something that people will never forget. Some people may never forgive. So the irony is that while he inflicted physical punishment and I don't know if it, if it hurt Chris Rock or not. It certainly stunned him, even though he kept it pushing. Like we've we've seen it. You went to sure. see him. Of course, of course. Well, when of I course say hurt, hurt, I don't know how much it hurt. Well, I don't know. He, I, I don't know. He didn't punch him. I'm saying. I said I don't know how much it smack hurt. Your, Did he feel it? Of course. Smack yourself he, in the face. Of course, he felt smack it. yourself in the face and see how, see see what it's like. You're, miss, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Go of ahead. Of course, go he ahead, helped go it. Ahead, go ahead. Of, of course, of course, of course, he felt it. Of course, he felt it. But I'm saying, the mo- the person that's dealing with the more most pain after this is him is Will Smith. Like you went to Chris Rock's show. You met Chris Rock. You saw how the crowd responded to him. Chris Rock came out of this thing looking like roses. Chris Rock yeah. came out of this thing Look. better than when he went in. Chris, if, if there is a winner in this ugly situation External. and you know, I do have a yeah, you know, how I do have an issue External. with the language that Chris Rock used toward Jada Smith to begin with. But that aside, if anybody gained more fans and gained more respect, it was Chris Rock, whereas the opposite is true for Will Smith. And yeah, so if, yeah, if Will, Mike, Will Smith is the, one of the biggest actors in the history of Hollywood. Okay, one of the well, he's, he's one of the biggest box office sensations yes, yes, of our lifetime, yes. and that is suffering. So I, my point is, regardless of what the Academy did, that damage is done and unless and until he gets on camera and cries and apologizes. You're gonna have a lot of people that are never really gonna look at Will Smith the same again, and you can't you can't yeah. put that's not tangible. You can't put that, you know what I mean? You can't quantify that. Does that make sense? Okay, but here's the problem. Yeah, it does make sense. Okay, go but ahead. I, I I think it's I don't know if Will Smith is is hurt more than Chris Rock externally. Yes. Okay. I so mean, the I'm people, strictly talking externally. Like, oh, I'm strictly right, talking right, about right. externally. I'm, I'm talking about a brand. Okay. 
image reputation yeah, sure, standpoint. Sure, sure. I am not talking about the psychological damage and emotional right. toll and that Chris Rock has had to deal Absolutely. with. I'm stripping talk when of I say hurt. I don't mean I don't mean up in here. I mean how people view that individual. Chris Rock gained a lot and more fans and that's saying something than he already had by how he comported himself on Oscars night. In spite of what he you said know, to Jada Pinkett, Chris Rock was the victim in a lot of people's eyes and therefore gained a lot of sympathy. Whereas Will Smith, his reputation may never be the same. You know, as an aside, as a bit of an aside, I used to say this when I was writing columns, something frivolous to others. It wasn't frivolous to me. I I took it very seriously. But when I was writing sports columns, I always used Mm -hmm. to say, I wish people... I wish people could see themselves the way I'm able to see them. So I'm the one and Shalice made a reference to it earlier. When I write a column and I'm getting responses from people all over. So so people from from the left and the right, people who are apolitical, people who are Muslim and Jewish and Christian yeah. and atheist. I'm hearing from all sorts of people and I'd always say based on the emails I would get, I'd say, "Wow, it's amazing." how people who have completely different philosophies mm-hmm. find similar things funny, who are outraged by similar things, who uh, have a response, who have a, 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 a kind of a universal response, but they would never see themselves that way. I get to see this, and that was, to me, that was one of the biggest gifts of writing a column, that I could see some similarities in people who would never think that they were similar. And I say that that's a whole lead up a roundabout way of saying this situation is proving that too. It's amazing. It's not necessarily split. Now I'm not saying people aren't on Will Smith's side if you want to put it that way, but the majority of people as you've just pointed out and I agree with the majority of people are saying hey Chris Rock handled this with grace uh, with poise and Will Smith. Hey, no matter how upset you are, you can't do that. I think the majority now I don't know if it's 55 45 or 65 35. But it's amazing yeah, how we can get to a place uh, with, with certain things. It's hard to get but a lot of people with, to agree with, on anything. With Chris Rock, it's unfortunate for him that this has got to be a tagline. This is part of his tagline, too. It's a part of his association for the rest of his career. Yes, he has come out with more fans and he has gotten some applause. More ticket sales. Yeah. But he can't. From a, but, but, just but as well, but even from a career, they're both but from on a this. career standpoint. No, they are. They yeah. are. But I think from a career standpoint, I would I would say it's more of a, of a psychological and emotional thing. It, I mean, again, far be it for me to speculate, but career-wise, it's I don't think this does any damage to Chris Rock's career. Well, that's why I said it's psych- yeah, psychological yeah. and emotional. That's the, yeah, it's definitely humiliating, and he and he's probably still processing it. Meanwhile. Will Smith, from a reputation, the thing he's worked his whole life to build his reputation, shattered. Yo, you give me love for my shirts all the time. I'm just now realizing that's a Fela shirt. Fela! Fela! I, I just, wait, stand up, I can't Kuti, really see it. Kuti. Wait, you gotta, you gotta stand up a little bit. Can you stand up a little bit? Kuti. I can't. Fela. Oh, that's a good one. Yo, that's, that's a Fela. good one, man. That's a really good one. Hey, next time read my text before the show starts. Read it carefully. Yeah, yeah, I will. Just to bring it full circle. Read it carefully. Hey, hey, read the whole text. Fela, <laughs> Fela is a musician of a brother from another.
Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply.